You're listening to the Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast with your host, Clément Thibault. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CryptoTalk, Investing.com's weekly crypto podcast. I'm your host, Clément Thibault, and uh, we are today Sunday, January 13. It's our second episode of 2019. It's great to have you here. Uh, today, we're going to be doing what we do usually after we've had a couple of special episodes looking over 2018 and an outlook for 2019. Go hear them if you haven't. Uh, we're going to be going over the weekly news, which is what we usually do. Uh, so we have a few interesting topics. Uh, we are trying to give you all the news in 15, 20 minutes, all the weekly news without you having to follow uh, every day what's going on in the markets. All right. So having covered that, let's move on to this week's topics. So we really have some good topics this week. Uh, first up, we're going to open with Ethereum Classic. So Ethereum Classic was... Uh, 51% attacked last week, and it resulted in multiple block reorgs, which are a big problem in cryptocurrency and literally mean that the blockchain is not secure and that you can rewrite history, which is something that you're not supposed to be able to do uh, on the blockchain. So we're going to talk a little bit about what it means for the currency itself and how you can do how it can how you can protect yourself and not fall victim to a double spend attack or a 51% attack if it concerns you at all or if it's just a matter of exchanges. Uh, second, we're going to talk about uh, the crypto exchange uh, Kraken, which has released a report on law enforcement requests, which kind of tells us a lot about what law enforcement is looking for, which agencies are the most active in the, if the, in the cryptocurrency space. And we're also going to be talking about uh, which countries are the most prominent in requesting data from exchanges. Uh, third up, we're going to talk about the unfortunate uh, crypto kidnapping that occurred this week, where... Uh, the wife of a Norwegian billionaire was kidnapped and the ransom that they asked for was $10 million in Monero. So we're going to be talking just a little bit about Monero itself, uh, why they were asking to be paid in Monero, um, and generally the, the future of that currency. And lastly, we're going to talk about a Bitcoin transaction that reached a one-year high uh, last week over a seven-day average. Uh, what does it mean for Bitcoin? I mean, is it the turnaround that everyone's been looking for? So we got a great podcast this week, and uh, let's start. Let's dive right in into uh, Ethereum Classic. So Ethereum Classic with 51% attacked. Uh, if you don't know what that means, basically for a blockchain that works on proof of work to be secure, you always need 51% of the hash power, the computing power that secures the network to be honest. And if 51% is, is a bad actor that tries to insert you know, transactions that never happened with 51% of the computing power, you can actually rewrite history, which is exactly what happened on uh, Ethereum Classic. So uh, what happened was that Coinbase said that they identify a total of 15 reorganizations, uh, 12 of which contain double spends. So double spends is when you send the coins to a merchant and then you rewrite history. And so the merchant thinks that you know, he actually got his coin, but then all of a sudden these blocks become orphaned and then, you know, and then the transaction never really happened and the coins are taken away from him and he, there's nothing he can do about it. And so someone actually spent the coin twice. So total uh, 12 double spends uh, and Coinbase says that they identified double spend for $1.1 million. So it's not just a small double spend. This was a massive operation. Uh, what that means for you generally. 
So what you try, what we, what you should try to do is not hold any weaker coins. So proof of proof of work coins that aren't really secure. Say Bitcoin right now and Ethereum right now are secure. There's still a tons of hash power. But when you look further down the list of cryptocurrencies and you see cryptocurrencies in the top 20, top 50 that are proof of work, but aren't really secure. And there's there's not a lot of computing power on securing the chain, which makes it very easy for a third party to execute a 51% attack. And this is exactly what happened with Ethereum Classic today. So what you should try to do basically is not hold any coins that aren't secure. And if you, the coins that you're holding are secured with proof of work, and you can check you can check the hash power that's on it with different uh, block explorers and, and different data sites. And if you see that the the if you see that the computing power is just low, then you just should try to avoid those coins. Now, basically, a lot of time, fifty one percent attacks are more uh, something that hurt exchanges because exchanges are the one that are you know doing daily transaction and they generate most of the activity on the blockchain. So in this particular case, we have an exchange called Gate.io uh, that said that it lost about $200,000 uh, on the attack. And they said that they will, you know, take the losses themselves and, and, you know, just continue the operation and just write this down as a loss. So it doesn't affect basically users themselves unless, you know, unless you happen to be in one of those blocks. But who, you know, who uses Ethereum Classic to buy and, and transact anyway, you know? So you, it's not a matter of concern for regular users. It is for exchanges. But generally, really, if you see that there is a coin that is not secure, then just don't use it. It's very, very easy. It's very simple. And this is why I think that eventually most people will converge to uh, Bitcoin or, you know, top three maybe cryptocurrencies uh, with proof of work and not go further down the road because... The fact that there's a million of them, it's that there means that there's a million attack surfaces and there's just there's just just a few that are secure. So that's regarding uh, Ethereum Classic. It's big news. And for the future of Ethereum Classic, obviously, it's not very good. And I'm yet to see, you know, a reaction from the community. Uh, I really think that this could signal the end for Ethereum Classic. I really think that a successful 51% attack should signal the end for any proof of work coin. Uh, that has been compromised because really, you know, that's your, you had one job, you had one job and it was to securely, uh, s securely store data on the blockchain. In fact, that can be rewritten. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you really have no, no, you really have no business existing at all. Uh, so that's Ethereum classic, some harsh words, but that's really the way it is. And that's the way you should be. And, and, you know, a coin experiencing a 51% attack should just die off. So, uh, we're starting this week, uh, maybe uh, on a grimmer note, but it is what it is, and this is what happened this week. Uh, so that's regarding Ethereum Classic, and uh, we're now going to be moving on to law enforcement requests from Kraken. So this week, Kraken, uh, the U.S.-based uh, crypto exchange, uh, released some numbers regarding uh, compliance and how many requests do they have for data from different countries and different agencies. So one of the most interesting things is that about two-thirds of the requests for data came from the U.S., where Kraken claims that only 20% of its users are from the U.S. So first of all, right off the bat, that kind of explains why a lot of, a lot of crypto businesses are just saying, we don't want any U.S. users. And what 
Kraken was outlining in its compliance report is that while it has the funds to kind of handle those requests, because, you know, those requests can't just go unanswered because, you know, the law enforcement agency would just come down on you and you have to reply to them. And most of the time, you also have to give them what they want. So they're saying that the fact that they can handle uh, about 315 requests, so that's almost one a day. And it's a lot of work with a smaller exchange or just a smaller business probably can't handle. So other than the 315 requests from the U.S., there's been uh, 61 requests from the U.K. Then you have uh, Germany with 34, France with 20, uh, the Czech Republic 5, Italy 6. So there's a bunch of then a smaller numbers. But that just tells you that, you know, they, they I think, got about four. 475 law enforcement requests in 2018, which is uh, a 300% increase from what they've had in 2017, which all which only had 160 requests. So obviously, as crypto uh, becomes more prominent and you know it gathered a lot of, again a lot of uh, public attention this year, uh, last year also. So it's it's normal that you know law enforcement are more aware of the use for crypto and they want to get more data because they want to know who is trying to launder money and those kind of things. Uh, if we're talking by agency, that's also interesting. Uh, so 67 requests from the FBI. Uh, we've had 18 requests from uh, the Department of Justice, 40%, 40 requests from the DEA, 19 requests from the SEC, 13 from the IRS. So you can see that it's really a big mix of all the agencies and they're all trying to get information for you know their own purposes because obviously the FBI and the SEC don't necessarily investigate the same thing. But a lot of crypto data and it shows why a lot of businesses have needed to implement KYC and AML, like Shapeshift, uh, I think we talked about this one. A lot of the community was not happy about Shapeshift implementing uh, those protocols, but they really had no choice. And, and Kraken shows us now they took, a, uh, they took a little problem with it and they had a little bit of attitude that was saying, listen, U.S., we can't work like that, which in a way, you know, I appreciate them speaking their mind. And, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. The regulator in the U.S. is a lot harder than the regulator in other countries. And if you want to do business in the U.S., then yes, there's going to be a regulatory price to play, pay to play. Really, it is what it is. So it's it's very interesting, again, because you can see why and you can see how it develops over time. And it really tells you that, you know, no matter what you do, and it's only going to become more prominent. And I'm sure that the IRS in 2019, I expect them to be one of the leaders in requests, right? Because because a lot of people have been trying to not pay taxes on crypto. So if you're one of those people, uh, then you should know that the IRS is probably uh, going to be asking for your data at some point in 2019, 2020. And you also know that the IRS can look many years back at, you know, your income and what you reported. So, yeah, if you have anything, just don't mess with the IRS, pay your taxes and be done with it. So that's that's a very interesting report from them. And I think that it really shows how law enforcement gets more into crypto and is more involved in the space. And so, you know, if and I think it's good for everyone to be aware of how law enforcement you know, exercises its power over exchanges and asks for your data. At the end of the day, law enforcement is here to protect, but we have to make sure that everything is being done reasonably. Uh, all right, so talking about law enforcement, uh, we're going to be moving on to Monero, 
and uh, the crypto kidnapping that occurred last week, uh, unfortunately. So that's our next topic. So we have a, a kidnapping, which is pretty unusual for this podcast, but it relates to crypto. But before we get there, just uh, the facts of the matter. So Anne Elizabeth Falkvik Hagen, a 60-year-old woman, the wife of Tom Hagen, which is a, a Norwegian billionaire, was kidnapped this week. And, you know, the kidnappers asked for $10 million in Monero. So before we get into uh, the, crypto part, the crypto part of it and the crypto side of it, I want to really express uh, my sympathy and thoughts and prayer to the family. And I really hope that she comes back safe. Now, uh, kidnapping, obviously, you know, for a ransom, whether it's dollars or crypto, unfortunately, it's just something that happens and I wish it wouldn't. But uh, let's talk a little bit about, you know, the crypto aspect of it. So why are they using uh, Monero? So basically, they are, they are asked for Monero because it's a very privacy-oriented coin. And it makes it really, really, really hard to trace who sent what and when. So what they're hoping is that you know how a lot of times uh, ransom was asked to be given in you know twenty dollar bills unmarked and you know with different serial numbers and that kind of stuff. So instead of doing that, you could just go with Monero, and the technology kind of allows to have an untraceable cryptocurrency, which is why uh, they're using Monero. Now Monero, you know, the, when those ransoms started, uh, they started with Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is not a very privacy-oriented coin. If you reuse your address, you know, addresses can be tied to people. So it's not the best way to do that. And as the cryptocurrency space becomes more elaborate, so, you know, the, the things you can do with it are also, unfortunately, in this case, uh, become more elaborate to track. So Monero is exactly an example of it. So they ask for uh, $10 million in Monero. Uh, the thing is that, you know, Monero in this case is not necessarily the best way to do this because while Monero is very untraceable, uh, $10 million is about 10% of Monero's total market cap. And even in a privacy-oriented coin, it makes, you know, it's hard to believe that you can just move 10% of the entire supply of something without anyone noticing and anyone knowing what you're doing. So that's something that we'll definitely have to watch, you know, going forward and see how this situation develops. And if you can really move 10% of the entire supply of Monero without anyone uh, knowing what is happening. So as far as I know today, she still remains missing. And like I said, I really hope that, you know, she comes back home safe and that this entire affair is over with. Uh, Monero itself, there's been also a new research saying that about 5% of all Monero was mined by malware. So a lot of times you know, you get your, your computer gets hijacked and they're using the CPU or the GPU or even a JavaScript extension on, you know, a browser to use your resources to mine the currency. And according to this research, hackers have mined uh, about $56 million worth of Monero. So we're talking serious money here. It's not, it's not you know, just a couple of bucks here and there. Uh, compared even to the 1.1 billion stolen in, in Ethereum Classic that we talked about just earlier, this is, you know, a different league. So this brings us to a conversation, which is a lot of times uncomfortable for a lot of people to have regarding if cryptocurrencies are good or bad. Now, my personal view is that cryptocurrencies are a tool, just like any other tool. And unfortunately, sometimes tools can be used for good 
and they can be used for bad. Monero is no exemption to this rule. So unfortunately here, the use, that it's, you know, the use that's being done is wrong. But uh, in our lack world that is a lot of times lacking privacy, uh, with what a lot of people like to call our tech overlords, knowing what we're doing, what we're thinking, and what we want to buy. Uh, having more, you know, privacy-oriented tools can only empower people to take sovereignty over their own data, you know, and their own life. Uh, so, unfortunately, it has what I would call maybe side effects that the coin is being used for maybe not what the people that invented it really wanted it to be used for. Like, I'm having trouble to believe that Monero was invented as a tool for criminal activity. I really think this is not what, you know, it was used for, it was created for. Unfortunately, it is what it is used for. So I think that, you know, it's a moral judgment of if you want to hold a coin that, you know, is potentially dirty, I want to say. And everyone can have their own judgment regarding if Monero really enables uh, criminals. Uh, personally, I don't think so. Of course, you know, you can use tools for many things. It's very unfortunate that it's been used for this purpose, but we'll keep an eye on it and I'll update you because again, if 10% of the supply moves and you can't tell that it moved, this is crazy. So we'll see. Uh, it's been a podcast of uh, pretty bad news this week, I feel. But uh, those were just, you know, the highest priority and, and the biggest things that happened this week. So I really felt like they should be part of the podcast. Uh, we're going to end on a little mo more positive note, and we're going to talk about Bitcoin daily transactions uh, reaching a one-year high. And we'll finish off with some good news for crypto enthusiasts. So the seven-day average for the number of daily Bitcoin transactions has reached a one-year high, which shows that, you know, as much as a lot of people would love to claim Bitcoin is dead, it's not. So the lowest we've seen uh, in the past couple of years came in April of 2018, which is just after the bubble burst. And you can really see in the graph that, you know, it took a hit and people were completely disinterested. And you could see it in the price as well, even though it took longer to tumble to four and then almost 3K. Uh, but since April, you can really see a steady climb in the average number of daily transactions. So the number itself, if you're interested, was... 2,080,000 transaction and the record uh, was December 2017 of course the peak of the mania uh, where over 400,000 transactions were recorded so this is uh, this is definitely a bullish sign for Bitcoin as far as I'm concerned because you can really see that you know the coin is, is picking up again in its volume and you can see that people still use it and use it more and more uh, having you know daily transactions at a high after the past year that we've seen prices go down and down and down and it didn't seem like there was an end and all of a sudden even though bitcoin trades at less than 4k we're still climbing in the number of transactions it's definitely a good sign for for bitcoin and the way that you know it's going and it's picking up steam now does this mean that we're going to see you know an immediate bullish reversal and that we're going to reach 20k again probably not I've said that a few times and I really believe it, that it takes a lot more times once you've burned so many people and so many people don't want to hear about cryptocurrency anymore because they lost a lot of money. It'll take some time to get them back into the game and for them to realize that, you know, to, over, to look over and to look past uh, the short-term gains 
that they were trying to make and really see what cryptocurrencies are meant to be. So I don't see it as an immediate bullish sign for Bitcoin. But if you're looking at the fundamentals of Bitcoin and I've written about it, you know, in my Medium posts, you can go and, and look it up uh, right now if you want to really. Uh, you can really see that the Bitcoin fundamentals are improving and have been improving throughout 2018. And even though the price was really a one-way street and that was down, uh, many other things like the number of people participating in the network or the hash power, which went down and then went up again. And you can really see that fundamentally uh, Bitcoin is, is still sound. Now, I don't think and I don't know if it's really if the current price that we have really reflects the fundamentals. But the trend of the fundamentals is not the trend of the price. And that's kind of the divergence that you should be aware of. Things are improving, but the price is still high. Now, is the price still too high? And are the fundamentals, you know, maybe more adequate if Bitcoin was at $100? Well, that's one of the biggest problems with Bitcoin, that the valuation is really hard to nail on a fundamental basis. And right now, it's really a matter of, you know, what are people willing to pay for it? without there being too many fundamentals where you can base an analysis on. But, you know, you should be aware that Bitcoin fundamentals are improving, uh, especially if you're a crypto enthusiast looking for some good news in this, you know, sea of red and, and, and many bad news coming at you. So I, w I wanted to end on a positive note, uh, saying that some things are improving. Bitcoin fundamentals are definitely one of those things. All right, that wraps it up for today. Uh, so let's move on to the outro. All right. Thanks for being with us. Uh, back to our normal schedule of weekly news analysis uh, where we can take really a look at what happened this week and not necessarily at what happened this year or what will happen this year. Although those were two very good episodes of Cryptox. So if you haven't checked them out yet, you can go ahead and do that on Spotify or iTunes. I believe there's a link in the description. Uh, so thank you for being here. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely see you next week with another episode of uh, Cryptox by Investing.com. If you have any questions or anything you'd want us to cover, feel free to drop a comment on investing.com or reach out to me on my personal Twitter at Clem Thibault. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have somewhere where my name is spelled. I'm not going to do that right now. Uh, so again, I'm Clement Thibault and it's a pleasure to be here and I hope to see you next week.